0: So if I say the reason you are obese is it's your fault, they immediately will go, oh man, I'm terrible. Whereas my switcheroo in the mindset is it's your fault. So you can fix it. You're in the driver; You can do anything it takes to, to fix it. But it's much easier to admit it's my metabolism. It's the media or it's, you know, the way I was brought up, my socioeconomic status, things that are outside your control. than to admit that you had all the control in the world and simply moderating your intake and exercising a little bit more with something you were unwilling to do. That sucks, because it's a simple equation that you weren't able to solve. Depending on how you look at that internal locus of control, it could be a superpower or it could just absolutely degrade your self-image.
1: What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Dieting from the Inside Out because we all know outer work without inner work just doesn't work. Today's episode, I have a really cool guest for you. We get really, really deep and we go all over the place. So my guest today is Paul O'Need. Now, Paul and I recently met on a podcast because he saw him, basically saw my stuff, wanted me to come on his show, and we had such a great conversation that I knew I had to have him over here on my show. So that's what we—that's we, well, what happened, and we got into so many different things because. Paul is, Paul is a very, um, a very multi-layered person. Um, he's got, I mean, his, his, his resume, so to speak, and his like bio is ridiculous. Like he, I won't read you the whole thing, but he sent me over. Like he's got this crazy background in history with coaching athletics and coaching people as a whole, as a whole and helping other coaches scale their businesses. But then also has some pretty crazy background of like stuff he's done in, in the fitness and powerlifting industry and things like that. But the thing is, Paul also has done so much inner work in growth through things like his own work, therapy, uh, emotional regulation and all these kind of things. And it's just this giant conglomerate of multi layers of a person. And it's such a beautiful thing to get into because like on the surface, Paul is like this. If you, when you, you see the video, he's a giant dude that's jacked out of his mind and is like squatting hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pounds. But then you hear him and he is an emotionally regulated, multi-layered, almost, uh, almost stoic, gentleman and he's, he's incredible. So I'm, I'm really thankful that I got to, that I got to know him, um, and whatnot. I feel bad. He, uh, he was actually just here in the Indy area on a travel thing on like a, going to, I can't remember where they were going, but it was the one weekend I was out of town. So I missed him, unfortunately, but we got into a lot on this episode, just looking at my notes. Um, we got talking into a really good conversation on the idea of being able to do whatever it takes, um, in all the dark sides of that. We got talking about, um, basically programming your mind and doing the, basically all the more inner work in like emotional regulation stuff, um, to be super successful with the things that you're trying to do, like losing weight, keeping it off and just being successful as a whole, um, as well as more stuff on like regulating your, your emotions and regulating your nervous system and learning to be self-aware around yourself and everything as a whole. So we got a lot in this episode. It's a full length episode. You're going to want to probably take notes. You're going to want to stick around for the whole thing. Um, um, and that's it. Otherwise, I really appreciate you being here. Thank you so much. Be sure and subscribe if you haven't already and I will get the interview started, but I would love to hear more like, cause I, so for those listening, like we're, we're a, a new friendship, like you and I haven't known each other for that mm. long, but when I was, when you and I were talking on yours, I just, I don't know. I just felt instantly connected with you. I feel like our <laughs> yeah. stories are very aligned. Um, and I would like, just like to hear more. So what's the story of Paul? oh okay yeah, um, yeah.
0: <laughs> so okay let's go all the way back then. So <laughs> i started uh i started weight training actually as a kind of started into it my senior year of high school um i was a basketball player but i was also like quite overweight so a very skilled player got by on my skills uh, couldn't play defense obviously because i wasn't athletic enough but we played a zone so it doesn't matter um But I wanted to go play in in university and I actually got the opportunity to do that uh, at our local university, University of Ottawa here in Canada. And um, I was just a red shirt. And that summer between high school and universities, when I started training, Mm. I ended up losing 60 pounds within two months. Uh, Straight manorexia, like high activity. Manorexia. I've never heard
1: that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So I worked in a warehouse, two workouts a day. Uh, you know, skills practice, working in the warehouse all day, barely eating kind of thing. Um, I was the most athletic I'd ever been. I could dunk like I'm, I'm only five, nine and a half and I could dunk. Um, but it got me really interested in how do I do this in a, in a healthy way? And so I studied human kinetics in my undergrad. Um Decided basketball wasn't for me after my first year, all the while I was continuing to train. Uh, was always quite strong. Um, and then I decided to play football after that, was training for football, got introduced to, you know, Eric Cressy, Joe DeFranco, Zach Evanesh, that whole crowd. All the boys, all the all boys. boys. Um <laughs> T Nation, Elite FTS. And I had a knee surgery in my third year, third year. Uh, and it was during the rehab process for that, which I fell in love with the science of training. And I decided I wanted to be a collegiate strength coach. So when I grad, I did an internship with Joe DeFranco as soon as I graduated wow. for about a week. Um, you know, stayed in stayed in New Jersey, worked with him for a week straight, uh, and then looked up, I was like, who's the best college strength coach in the US? And it was a gentleman named Ron McKeefree at the University of South Florida. At the time they were they were ranked number four in the nation. Not so much anymore. (laughs) Um, And uh, I went down there for a summer while I was there, applied for my master's degree. Uh, So I was working in the weight room, did my master's in exercise science and actually ended up leaving my degree early because I got a full time job at, at Robert Morris University in Pittsburgh. Was an assistant strength coach there, did a master's degree in sports management, moved back to Tampa when I completed was an assistant strength coach at the University of Tampa while I completed my exercise science masters at South Florida, so I have two master's degrees, got a head strength and conditioning job up here in Canada at Queen's University, and went through that whole process for about a year, very different situation, no funding, bad environment from an administrative perspective, ended up burning out and leaving coaching entirely. Was working in the private sector as a disability rehab specialist, uh, coordinating treatment plans for individuals trying to go back to work, which is a stark contrast. I mean, you go from, can I swear on the podcast?
1: Fuck yeah, bro. Bro, I said cunt as soon as we started.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I went from, you know, motherfucking kids in a weight room to trying to convince, you know, Sally that it was okay (laughs) to go outside. Uh, You know, it wasn't going to hurt her to go outside because she's agoraphobic. And it kind of taught me a lot about communication. And all this I while, I had gotten into powerlifting and was competing at a very high level. Uh, at one point, in I believe 2016, I was ranked in the top 10 all time in two different weight classes. Um, we can talk lifts if you want, but anyway, um, then from there, I got into coach. I was I was coaching powerlifters on the side. Started you know as I got better at, at powerlifting, I got more eyes on me as a coach coaching, 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 and ended up at a point where six years into my private sector gig, I was holding 50 clients, uh, doing some training, doing some nutrition. And I was making twice as much money as I was in my day job online. Uh, I decided to quit and it's just been scaling my business ever since. So it was really, you know, a stepwise journey. And when I I was thinking about that this morning, when I was driving home from the gym, I was like, I know Jared's going to ask me about my Journey, quote unquote, and it's just funny how it's what I was doing and what I'm doing now—such a stark contrast, but also a lot of similarities as well. Yeah, totally,
1: totally. I'm and and just for now, granted, the 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 community that listens to the podcast isn't like a bunch of like it's not like a powerlifting only podcast. Of course, but but. I didn't realize until we got talking you're as much of a unit as you are. Like, feel f- like what? What are your lifts? Just, just for shits and giggles. Uh, My best lifts in competition. I squatted eight hundred at two twenty. <laughs> um, that's ridiculous, bro.
0: In competition, I benched four hundred and thirty pounds and I deadlifted seven twenty
1: five. Dear God, that's ridiculous. That's crazy.
0: Yeah. Well, now I mean, those lifts in comparison to you know, I was top ten all time in the world. Like all time so if anyone who had ever competed in powerlifting in those two weight classes i was in the 10 best now i think i'm in the top 100 like the the sport has just elevated like crazy yeah
1: the craziest thing I'd ever seen. I was at the Arnold Classic. I used to go every year. I was just that mm-hmm. meathead. I'd come back with like five backpacks full of supplement samples. Um, <laughs> but um, the craziest thing I'd ever seen, because I, I also like the gym. I the gym I used to go to hosted the Giants Live. So like they oh, would, cool. yeah. They here they they hosted. I don't know how they did it, but it's a huge strongman um, strongman community. Like I was like one of my buddies that's a trainer there is like top forty strongmen in the world. Um, cool. Yeah. So, so a lot of cool stuff like. You know, see Brian Shaw and like shit like that. So, um, but it was, so even through all that, the craziest thing I ever saw was at the Arnold classic and I was at the animal cage. If you know the animal supplements yeah, yeah. and I was, w- I was watching that and they have a guy called the Ant. I think Richard Hawthorne, yeah, is Richard Hawthorne,
0: I competed against him.
1: Really? Dude, yeah. I, I, and it, now, now I, again, I'm not a power thr- He had, a, I know like the suit makes a difference and all that stuff, but so geared like with the squat, like with the deadlift suit and everything. I thought it was fake. He ripped seven something off the ground at a body weight of 130 pounds.
0: Yeah. I think his best lift in a competition was in the sixes. Um, my actually two of my training partners uh, were sponsored by animal. Okay. While I was competing. So, and, and so I mentioned my lifts. I was the third strongest guy at our gym.
1: There were bigger boys than you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So,
0: uh, so Jay Nira, who's who's a good friend of mine, um, he was the top lifter in the world at 220, and then uh, Cade Weber was the number one lifter in the world at 242. Wow,
1: that's crazy, bro. Yeah. That's cool though. That's dope to be around that kind of people. There are those kind that caliber of person. You know. I
0: mean, when you talk about environment influencing your results. You, you get thrown in the fire, you have no, dis- no choice, but to keep up.
1: Adapt or die. <laughs> Adapt
0: or die. And, and, you know, there's a lot of positives you can, you can glean from that. And, you know, when we work with our clients too, we talk a lot about, you know, orchestrating your environment to you know get the results that you want, whether it's the food you keep in your cupboards, whether it's the company you keep outside yeah. of your home, your friend group. Yeah. It's all going to influence how, it's all going to influence where you look at that glass ceiling. You know, mm-hmm. so if, if I'm surrounded by dudes, I remember this is a hilarious story. So I'm prepping for a competition. Cade has just finished competing. Uh, I'm doing like triples on the deadlift at 600 pounds, in which at the time was a maximal weight for me. He walks in eating a Dairy Queen Blizzard in sweatpants. He's like, <laughs> um, "What are you? What are you doing?" I'm like, "I'm you know just doing some triples." He's like, "Okay," and he grabs it. No warm up, (laughs) rips it for eight, stiff leg.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: And he goes, That's light, and keeps eating his blizzard.
1: (laughs) No warm up, no, that's hilarious. Nothing.
0: It was so emasculating.
1: (laughs) There's, um, there's a, it's like, I think with anything, there, it's like there's levels, and then there's like, there's levels that are so so on another level that you're like, I didn't even know that was a level. So actually I have a buddy right now. It's not even related to any of this, but on the subject of there's levels. Um, so I have a buddy who is, um, who's in the, the co- his, the coaching and in software space. He just went on a, his client took him to New York on his private jet, brought a helicopter, like that kind of vibe. Nice. And he sent a picture. Um, he sent a picture of them together. I go, and I saw like, I'm a big watch guy and I saw he had a Richard mill on his wrist. The, the, the client did. And I said, And I don't, my, my, my buddy's not like a big watch guy, but I said, you know, who's the, I said, that's a half million dollar watch, by the way, on your buddy's wrist. And he goes, he has 10 and I, and and, and I'm like, and like they went shopping and the client bought my buddy. Like they went to, uh, I can't remember the name. I don't, this shows like there's levels that I've never heard of this shop. And like every t-shirt's a thousand dollars, like that kind of vibe, like we're making Gucci look like chump change. I like can, and, and, and Sure, they're free. <laughs> right. 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 And, and, and he, but he's a really big business guy, like way bigger than I am. I'm I, like, I'm a business dude. He's a even bigger business guy than I am. And then his client took him like on this huge thing. And all I say is, dude, there's just levels. Isn't there? And he goes, dude, there's, there's levels that like, he's like, I can't even, my buddy just sold his company. They were doing like 10 million in sales. So my guys know, like, like poor person, like he's mm-hmm. gets the game of business. Um, And then like the client just did all this for him. And it's just like, there's so many, like whatever we think we know about something, there's just like levels to levels to levels.
0: Okay. Let me ask you a question. Okay. The interviewer. Okay. (laughs) Knowing what it takes to get to that level of success. Do you actually want that?
1: So I have two thoughts. Number one, I would almost argue that I, because I'm not there, I don't know what it takes. Okay. So I would, I think Cause if someone knew they would do in most cases, right. um, or like, like imagine this, I have never deadlifted over, let's say four five, for example, mm-hmm. like when I was in my, like I want, I had this aspiration. I wanted to at least deadlift the 500, got it, got in the fours and uh, got a back injury. Then I quit giving a shit. So about, <laughs> about powerlifting. But, but if I said, Hey, I could teach you how to deadlift 800. Would you believe me? I said, I know how to deadlift 800 pounds, but I'd never done it. Would you believe that I knew how to do it?
0: No. So I'm more so, I'm more so relating to, I'll, I'll relate it to, you know, very recent experience of mine being surrounded by a number of very highly successful individuals, people who I would initially think like, oh, I want to get to that level. Um, they were all exhausted. Yeah. They were, none of them prioritized weight training anymore. And none of them looked the part.
1: Mm, I see where you're going. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And so for me, when I look at at that, I'm like, I want to get to that level of success, but there's certain things that I'm not willing to negotiate on. Yeah. And if that means that I don't get to that level of success, well, I'm still not going to be a poor person, Right. (laughs) (laughs) but I'm also going to look the part, act the part, behave the part. Sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, like, do I want that? Like, of course, but it's one of those things where there's a thing, there's a level where I don't think people should be willing to do whatever it takes. Mm, like, like I, I hate, that. I hate, yeah. I hate the, whatever it takes mentality. Me too. hate that. Like I, I'll be on the phone with someone even like to apply it to coaching. They'll be like, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. And I go, that's maybe your problem. And so you're willing to do unsustainable things. You're willing to have an eating disorder. You're willing to, um, not have any time with your family, which means you'll eventually break because you're not, mm-hmm. you know, I said, I don't think you should be willing to do whatever it takes. Imagine this. If I said, I'm willing to do whatever it takes in, in business to be a billionaire, but that means I'm willing to lie, cheat and steal. Sorry. that that negates that I have an, I have a moral compass that doesn't allow that to happen. So I think there is a level of like where you're at. You're like, I'd love that, but I'm not willing to negotiate these core values. Um, yeah. it's, so it's,
0: a, it's an imbalance between, uh between your values and then what's what is perceived to be required to get to that level and maybe i'm naive i think i can get to whatever whatever level i want to get while keeping my values intact Mm -hmm. it might take me a little bit longer and i might have to forge a trail that no one has forged before but i can certainly do it
1: sure i love that and you know i think that has a great i love how you put that you when when you said i believe there is a a way to reach the goals you want without having to sacrifice your values. I think that like screams good coaching in general. Mm-hmm. I think people have a, a, a an outcome they want, whether it be to lose thirty pounds or to be an elite level powerlifter, whatever the case is. But they only see things through the lens of what has happened. Whether it be the only success they've known of someone losing thirty pounds is by starving, throwing up in the keto diet, or mm-hmm. or the only way to be an elite level powerlifter is by sacrificing everything else in their life. But then all of a sudden there'll be a four minute mile moment where some Someone will come out and they're like, "Oh no, I did it, and I had all this stuff." You know what I mean?
0: I'll tell you what, though, when I was one of the best lifters on the planet, I was sacrificing everything mm. else. So I've done it. Yeah, and that's why I know, and I've I've done it, and I've burned to the ground. Mm. So I know exactly, you know, number one, what those KPIs are to avoid, um, <laughs> <laughs> and number two, I know how it feels. So whenever someone says. I'm willing to do whatever it takes. My, my answer is actually not, you know, you're not, you're not. It's, are you willing to do less? Mm. Are you willing to slow down? Are you willing to do not like, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get rid of my back pain. Cool. Are you willing to stop training for a month and just go for walks? Well, no. Well, then you're not willing to do whatever it takes
1: That's so good it's usually it, the other way right yeah. it's it's they're willing to like like literally like bleed and cry and like break their own arm it's easier yeah it's,
0: okay so when we talk about coaching a lot of a lot of what we do is manipulating locus of control so like where people believe that they have control so we talk about internal locus of control it's i control my own destiny so when there's action involved I'm in the driver's seat. But when you when you say do less, immediately they're not acting, so there's no internal control, and they, they think, okay, I'm at the mercy of everything around me. And locus of control is something that I've been kind of diving into and, and fascinated by because it can be a double-edged sword. Some people will think, it's my fault, I'm a shitty person. So if I say, You know, the reason you are obese is it's your fault. They immediately will go, Oh man, I'm terrible. Whereas my switcheroo in the mindset is it's your fault, so you can fix it. You're in the driver, you can do anything it takes to, to fix it. And so, but it's much easier to admit it's my metabolism, it's the media, it's you know uh, the the advertising, or it's you know the way I was brought up, my socioeconomic status, things that are outside your control. It's much easier to admit that you failed at a very complex problem than to admit that you had all the control in the world and simply moderating your intake and exercising a little bit more was something you were unwilling to do.
1: That yeah.
0: sucks because it's a yeah. simple equation that you weren't able to solve. I just love the mindset around both of those things because depending on how you look at that internal locus of control, it could be a superpower or it could just absolutely degrade your self-image.
1: Sure. And I, I think <clears throat> I think this is one of those things where the, the so much of the magic with this is we just change the meaning. I think you can make anything a living hell if we just change the meaning of it. But it, it's why like the, the concept – this took me a long time to agree with and believe uh, that there's no bad emotions. All emotions just – they just are, it's the meanings we attach to them. And, um, you know, it's, 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 everything is the meanings that we, we take away from things. I think it was Ed Milet that said life, uh, how, Who was that quote? That was just gold. It was, um, it's not about the things that happened to you in life. It's the meanings that you take away from them that dictates everything else. I butchered the fuck out of that, but, um, but it's the same concept. So
0: I'm picking up what you're putting down. That's
1: right. That's right. So let me ask you this. I know like uh, you alluded to it a little bit when I was on your show, which everyone should go listen to. Um, Have you always been this like stoic, um, emotionally regulated, self-aware human? Or because I thought I thought you said you used to be like a real hothead or um, or a real struggle. I couldn't remember if that's what you said or not. But most people aren't this out the womb. This is
0: this is a highly trained response. Uh, a A lot of therapy went into this. I love it. Um, no, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily say I was a hothead. I was very rigid in terms of the standards that I held myself to and the standards that I held everyone else to. And it became quite a lonely existence. Um, but more than that, I was very good at numbing. I was very good at whatever was going on. I was going to do what I was going to do. I was unsacrificing in my pursuits and I had to be at the time to do the things that I wanted to do because, you know, I was doing a ma- at one point I was having two master's degrees ongoing while working 70 hours a week in a weight room and then still trying to compete in powerlifting. Holy fuck. It, it got done. Um, but I was I was uncompromising. And it wasn't until I went through some hardships in which compartmentalization were not possible. You know, when, when my dream job became a nightmare and then my personal life outside of that was a nightmare and I had no coping strategies because I had never felt, I had never allowed myself to feel emotions before. And when you get to a place where you base your entire self-worth on your ability to achieve and you're not able to achieve anymore, there's a massive feeling of being less than. And it wasn't until I realized that my self worth was much larger than my ability to achieve these things that I was able to actually enjoy the process of achieving them for the, from my own personal gain, rather than, you know, external validation and things like that. Um, You know, if you want to simplify it, I I did have to learn to love myself Mm. for sure. Um, And, you know, we could dive into childhood and things like that. I had a phenomenal upbringing. My parents are amazing. Um, They're terrific people, both very driven in their own ways, but both very different. Um, They were together my whole life. uh, Only within the last, I think, six or seven years they separated. Uh, But there wasn't any trauma involved, per se, But we as children have no idea how to emotionally regulate because that needs to be taught to us. I just had to teach it to myself a little bit later on. Yeah. Um, I also find that the idea that emotions are not good or bad. They just are. That's a really freeing thing. Mm -hmm. The issue is that because a lot of people aren't like this, I get especially in like normal everyday conversations, people usually think I hate them <laughs> until they get to yeah. know me. Sure. But it's mostly because I'm just observing and I'm just, I don't have, I'm, I never get too high. I never get too low. And I just find, like I just find it much easier to live my life like this. But in saying that now that I know how to feel my emotions, it might not look like it, but I feel my emotions so much more deeply my life is so much more fulfilling. Mm. It's so much more beautiful, and I'm so much more grateful for everything that I have going on because I did it
1: for me. Mm, that's so good. Yeah, it's That's so good.
0: I I my my wife will will make fun of me a lot about it cuz I cry all the time.
1: That's all, Yeah, That's awesome. I love, dude, I'm I there's a running joke like my, like I'm sensitive about it because like I I still uh, ever since I got went to therapy, like, it takes nothing to make me emotional. Literally, ever since I got in therapy, I, I'm like, bro, I, I see one clip of America's Got Talent, and I'm just like... <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, it takes nothing for me to start to get in my feels. Um, and I st- but, like, for me, I hate it because I still have the hardest time getting emotional in front of other people. Like, I still... Like I, th- I think for it's a childhood thing, like my mm-hmm. dad was that like we don't like I think I saw my dad cry like once in my life I never seen life. my
0: dad I actually saw my dad cry once when when our family dog died, but I've never seen him mm-hmm. cry other than that
1: uh we lost our little sister, we found her at like a holiday like at a theme park when she was like three she like wandered <laughs> off and that was the only time we it was right after we found her um and I saw my dad get emotional uh there oh. like for like two seconds, but now, like, cause I talk about this stuff now, like I get emotional on pot- my podcast all the time. Like I was, I had a podcast interview with one of my heroes and I was just trying to explain how much his work meant to me. And I fucking like lost it. I'm just like you motherfucker.
0: <laughs> like That's awesome though, man. You know?
1: yeah. like,
0: to feel that level of emotion. <laughs> like that's, that's what life is about. Mm-hmm. That level of happiness. If you're not in tune with yourself to the point like you have a full understanding of your values and you align yourself and your thoughts, feelings, and actions. And then you see all of that come to fruition. Fuck. That feels good.
1: I feel like you're coaching me right now. (laughs) (laughs) This is incredible. I literally feel like you're coaching me right now. This is, this is great. That's right. Good. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, go ahead. What were you going to say?
0: No, I was just like, I mean, that was a bit of an esoteric response um, to a bit of a pointed question. So, you know, emotional regulation for me is something that was learned over time. And if I could give anyone any advice, if they are struggling with this, whether it be imposter syndrome is a big one that I run into with a lot of my clients and a lot of my mentees um, or negative self-talk. It comes down to our inability to identify success and to internalize what success means. Mm -hmm. Happiness is a journey, okay? People think, I am happy. The only reason you feel happiness is because you've identified that you are trending towards the ideal that you've set for yourself. Think of, have you heard of the myth of Sisyphus? Mm Hmm. Okay. So Sisyphus, I'm going to butcher this, but <laughs> Sisyphus was punished by the gods to push a rock up a hill for eternity. And anytime the rock reached the top of the hill, it would roll down. And he, and there was an author, a philosopher named, um, named Camus, whose last name was Camus. And his line was, we have to imagine that Sisyphus was smiling Because he had a task, the task to push the rock up the hill. And when you look at happiness and the journey through life, through the lens of I am pushing this rock towards this ideal, eventually you will reach that ideal. But guess what happens? That ideal gets bigger. That glass ceiling raises and then you get to continue to push that rock up a hill. If you view that the pushing of the rock up a hill to have purpose for you, you will be happy.
1: That's good. I love that. And it goes back to that. All you did was change the meaning. That's all you did. You changed the meaning simply. Um, that's so good. You know, one thing you mentioned when you were explaining things a couple minutes ago, I wrote it down because I wanted to go back to it. Um, when you said that you had to learn to love yourself for you, I would love to hear from a tactical side how someone listening who does not love themselves to learn to love themselves because I hear, and I, cause I don't think this is going to be your answer, but I hear a lot of bullshit around this. Like it's all like, "Well, give yourself more bubble baths or just have pos- scream uh, these positive affirmations and you'll eventually believe it. Um, but like you've had to go through a lot of things cause like your, your story of, um, emotional suppressing and things like that and your whole identity being tied up in achievement to a T was me literally to a fucking T. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I resonate with that a lot, but, how would someone they're like, I hate myself. How do I learn to love myself? What would, what would you say to that?
0: So I'm very big on objectivity. I think whenever we have these subjective measures that we're looking at, it opens up to way too much interpretation and way too much. Like if you, if you look at your, let's say your emotional compass, it's going to act as like a filter over everything you see. So if you are in this negative mind state where everything you see is negative and you're looking at something with this filter over your eyes, it's going to be negative. Taking the time to actually identify what you would determine as the version of yourself that you would love. And people will attach things like I want a six pack or I want to lose 20 pounds or I want to squat 800 pounds, which was me. I said, if I squat eight, there's a funny story behind the 800 pound squat, but I said, when I squat 800 pounds, I'm gonna be happy. I stood up 800 pounds and I said, I want 850. Yes. I still wasn't happy. And so objectively looking at what's the version of yourself, not your not your outward image, that person that you are, that takes a lot of work and a lot of time, time spent in reflection. We live in a society of go, 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 never stopping. There's always something, some stimulus coming in, pulling away from that, putting your phone down, stepping away from your partner and your children for 10 minutes a day. Spend time journaling, spend time asking yourself questions. If it means that you have to pay $200 an hour to go talk to somebody to figure this out, pay the $200. That's what I had to do. And getting to a point where I could objectively identify the version of myself that I would be happy with, coupled with this, I call it, you know, extreme ownership is a very popular uh, popular term, which I get it. Cool. Um, I, I, I consider it just like, if I know where I'm going or where I want to go, the steps are very clear. Mm. So it's just like a violent execution of whatever steps I have to do. And as soon as you start taking those steps, you'll start feeling, feeling better about yourself. So you take, take that person who I hate myself, then every workout's going to be a punishment. Yeah. Every dietary restriction, it's going to be something that they hate. But when you look at it as, well, the version of myself is someone who exercises, someone who eats nourishing food, someone who takes time and quiet reflection every day, someone who moves their body, someone who challenges their mind. Well, then you should be exercising, you should be eating whole foods. And every time you do one of those things, it feeds into this positive image that you have. So this whole mental reframing removes that filter
1: mm.
0: because it becomes objective. And for me, knowing my personality and that I love, I love black and white, but the world exists in gray. Mm. And when we accept that and we remove the right and wrong and realize that if perception is reality, whose perception is it? It's mine.
1: Mm, right
0: again self-control self-ownership internal locus of control i can change the world that i live in i have a tattoo of atlas on my shoulder because he he holds up the world i hold up my world my world is what i create and that's essentially where. and and i'm not going to sit here and say i am the dalai lama i am some enlightened individual (laughs) I still have bad days. I still look at my wife some days and, and you know let her know you know I'm not good today. Yeah. The difference is is I have the tools necessary to reframe, set back, and get back to taking those objective
1: steps. Mm-hmm. I, I think that I mean every second of that was incredible. But I think like right out of the gate, like people live in the subjective world where it's like, mm-hmm. ah, it, it, and it's how can you tell me one stick is bent if you don't show me what a straight stick is. You know, where, um, it's actually one of my biggest pet peeves, even in coaching people like with struggling with like this inner deeper stuff. And someone says, just be more mindful. Well, what the fuck does that, does that mean? Or just oh, eat healthy yeah. or just eat healthy. Uh, I, I'm I'm about to do some content on this where I want to do a bunch of street interviews at, and showing like, like, Hey, what's it mean to eat healthy? And you're going to have some people say no process. You're going to have some people who say, um, Oh no sugar, no carbs, um, nothing in a wrapper, no um, ingredients you can pronounce. And it's it's because it's too too subjective. But I think it's for everything.
0: Yeah, for sure. And again, none of those answers are inherently wrong. Right. They're, they're incomplete. Right. But they're not wrong. It, the problem comes with, okay, so when I tell you to eat healthy, nutrition to me is so fascinating because eating and psychology and sociology are very heavily intertwined.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So when I say eat healthy, I have, I come from, my dad is Lebanese. He came over as a refugee from Lebanon and my grandparents live here. So we go over and eat, they call it Meza, where they make like small dishes and just tons of them and big family meal. There's tons of oils in there. It's all home cooked, but there's some stuff that's deep fried. And you would say, oh, that's not healthy. And I would say, well, is, in, is having a positive social relationship with your family healthy? Mm-hmm. Is sitting down at a communal meal healthy? Is engaging in conversations and learning about the past and your culture, is that healthy? And they'd be like, yeah. I'm like, okay. So there's food involved in that. That could be healthy. When you think about... Oh, I've been taking a step further, like Super Bowl Sunday... That could be healthy. It's so healthy. Nachos, mac and cheese, whatever. It's like, you wouldn't inherently think those foods are, are healthy, but engaging in that fellowship can be, um, there's a, there's a philosophy in Europe. I was introduced to this. One of my good friends is a professional basketball player, actor, medical doctor, like very, very cool guy, all the things, um, (laughs) And his mom will periodically smoke cigarettes and I'll make fun of her. And she's like, she's like, listen, if I smoke a cigarette, but I'm really happy, what's, does one negate the other? Mm -hmm. And you could like, and that's a very stark example because we know cigarettes are horrible for you. Sure. Sure. But the mind controls everything. So when we talk about like this subjectivity, it's, it's the gray area is life. Mm -hmm. So when, he, when I think about healthy, my definition of healthy is a much more holistic view than most other people. And this is where the opportunity to teach balance and teach um, you know, nutritional periodization and all this kind of stuff plays into you being a whole human who has to eat food and interact with people. So how do we do that in a way that biases fat loss or biases muscle gain? It's gonna be different for everybody. You can't necessarily put a definition on what healthy eating is.
1: So let's, you know, let's just relax a little bit. I love that. That's so good. That's so, so good. Because I think there's a level of people who are like, but no, you don't understand. And blah, 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 blah. But I think, but you're exactly right. It has to be that.
0: It, it has to be. And then, you know, when you get into the, the psychology of, okay, I hate myself. Then you see every meal as a punishment. You see every, you know, every time you say no to something, you see it as, you know, a restriction. Every time that you have the opportunity to eat something that isn't, quote unquote, on plan, you punish yourself by eating all of it. And now these potentially healthy interactions with food can become feeding into that negativity that you feel about yourself because... I can't control myself. I'm unworthy. I'm a piece of shit. Listen, there are times in the year, like I've competed in bodybuilding. I've competed in powerlifting. I've, you know, I have gotten, you know, dick skin shredded and I missed meals. I had to, I had to say, no, I brought Tupperware to dinner, but that was the goal that I set for myself. And objectively, those are the steps that I needed to take. Right. Right now. Every week, my wife and I enjoy a dinner together and a dessert. And it's part of our week. It's part of our life. It's a way to de-stress. Are the foods we eat during that meal healthy? We made nachos in our air fryer. <laughs> <laughs> like, with Doritos. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah. had cookies and donuts. Like, no, it's not healthy, but the the actual relationship benefit from that meal was yeah. absolutely healthy on a psychological sense. So these rigid definitions, in my opinion, are hurting us, um, do. are also setting us up for failure in a lot of ways. But on the other end, the give yourself grace, you know, cut like to cut yourself some slack. I'm still a hard ass, like get yeah. <laughs> your shit done. If you need to be in a calorie deficit, be in a calorie deficit. If the calorie deficit needs to be so steep to achieve your goals that you have to say no to those things, you have to say no. But uh, okay, so I'll re- I'll bring it back. What are your values? Mm, yeah, I want to challenge. I want to challenge all of my clients' beliefs. I want to push back on all of their preconceived notions, all of their limiting beliefs. But you know what? I'm not going to do. Compromise their values. Yeah. I will point out, okay, you've said, I mentioned this in a YouTube video I just made. If you're a devout Muslim who participates in Ramadan and you want to compete in a bodybuilding show that happens to be right after that, your value, your religious values conflict with your goals.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm not going to tell that person not to do it. I'm not going to say hey you can't do Ramadan this year.
1: <laughs> can I'm going to
0: say hey man, why don't we pick a show later in the year? Yeah. So that you can participate in Ramadan with your family? Yep. And then we can pick back up, do a prep and have a fantastic show. Yeah. I'm I'm challenging their beliefs, but I'm not compromising on their values. Right. If a client comes to me and says, "I love having dinner with my children every night." cool. Let's brainstorm some ways on how you can make a meal that fits within our framework, enjoy it with your family and still work to achieve your goals. Yeah. There's always, always, always solutions to these problems, yeah. but people are so quick to press that fuck it
1: button. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, I think they're quick to press the fuck it button. And this is when, um, where I see people wave their like all or nothing flag or perfectionist flag. Oh or, yes. And that, this is why, like, I think one of the biggest things that like we do is we, we kill that right out of the gate because most people I've noticed, and no one likes this this answer, I think the only time re- people wave their all or nothing flag or perfectionism flag is to validate the bad decision they're about to make. <laughs> no no one, like whenever like you're balancing work and home life with your kids, no one's like, I'm a perfectionist. I'm a nurse 24-7. And like, no, you're a fucking mom at eight o'clock at night when you're making dinner for your kids. Like You're not nurse mom. You're mom mom. It's it's only when we're making a bad decision, we're trying to validate because we want to mitigate ownership. That's my personal belief.
0: Um, I, I 100% agree with you. My favorite thing to point out, it's cognitive dissonance above everything, right? Mm, right I'm right, a perfectionist. Right. Why aren't your nails perfectly clipped? Why isn't your beard <laughs> perfectly trimmed? Why isn't your hair always styled? Why don't you dress perfectly every day? Why don't you perform 37 minutes and 26 seconds of cardio every day. You're not a perfectionist. Right. I, I The the thing that I put forth to my coach is about like, oh, I want to, you know, I want to wow my clients. I'm just having trouble putting this program together. I want it to be perfect. The, the client determines if your program's perfect. Sure. So how are you going to know it's perfect until you give it to them? Oh, same sense <laughs> okay, so so let's reframe it in terms of the client right The client wants to be perfect. They're not going to know what perfect is until they start making mistakes absolutely so let's just start making mistakes let's throw shit at the wall let's see what sticks hundred yeah. percent yeah It's, it's like, so good perfectionism, like you said it's just an excuse to avoid making mistakes, but avoiding making mistakes there are no such, there is no such thing as a mistake because whatever it is, you're going to learn from it
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and you're going to figure out a different strategy to use moving forward. It's like, um, it's like if you're in a war and you want to have the perfect attack and then you end up getting bombed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like time's not going to slow down for you.
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I I always say one day, one day longer waiting because things aren't perfect because you're one day closer to death. Like I, I view this game like we've all been on one of those moments where we're driving on the highway and it literally whys off like it, it makes a y and you're going 80 miles an hour. Or if you're me, you're going 90 because you're an asshole and and you're like GPS is like delayed and you're like, ah, I don't fuck. And you're like, you have to pick one. And if you're like me, you pick the wrong one and then you're like going 80 or 90 miles an hour in the, in the wrong way. But that's how life is. When, when we're like, Oh, I know what to do, but I'm not doing it. Or, Hey, I want to wait to start over Monday because I'm a perfectionist or right about now. Everyone's, you know what? I want to get through the holidays and not have to worry about this stuff. And I'll start over in January, even though there's Christmas every fucking year, it's literally 80 miles an hour, the wrong direction, because that's one period of time, one day, one quarter, one, whatever, closer to death.
0: So yeah, the, the, you know, it might sound a bit morose, but I think about death a lot. And Me too. I love it. It's <laughs> I just think in terms of perspective, it is the perfect way to maintain a healthy perspective on life in that, again, time waits for no man. We are never going to be further away from death than we are right now. It's it's always going to come. You know, I have a tattoo on my arm and my hand. So on, on my hand, I have a clock. And it's, you know, it's pointed at 1248 PM, the the minute I was born.
1: Mm.
0: And then there's some smoke coming up to a skull because from birth to death, all I have is right now. I can literally walk outside my house and die. So am I going to live this life in a way that doesn't align with me? Absolutely not. On the other side of my arm, on the other side of that sleeve, I have a lighthouse Because I think that in our life, we have these lighthouses that we need to look to, to keep us from crashing. And so all that put together is that lighthouse is what keeps me in alignment. Yeah. My thoughts, my feelings, my actions, that's going to be in alignment. And as long as I act according to the direction of that lighthouse from birth to death, I should be grateful for every moment. Because I'm living the life that I want to live.
1: That's so good. I have, a, I have a, a tattoo of a pocket watch on my bicep. Um, and right near it's a skull. <laughs> Flex it. <laughs> that's right. And, we show, well, you show you got to just like be like, oh, That's I right. Can't. Well, my thing with the clock is um, there's a concept that's helped me with something I've struggled with the most. I have the best handle on it I've ever had, but it's still always uh, a thing. Uh, so my clock is pointed to 1201 because for me, that's when midnight is when the day is now the next day. So mine is 1201 because I've always, you know, trying to – In the where me trying to get the most out of every day and things like that right 1201 it's the new day well mine is this concept I call the dichotomy of time and it's you have plenty but you're running out and that is the Mm -hmm. that's the state that I'm always I, I try to be in because the hardest thing for me is being where my feet are being present is one of the most difficult things I can do. But it's the most important. It has the most ROI. It's all that matters Um, for me. I have this especially getting into the entrepreneurial world at a younger age from the age of twenty three to like twenty eight. No idea. Literally, it's like there's a block of time because I was so obsessed Mm. with crushing and achievement. I was not present. I was not grateful. It's also why I have matching tattoos on both wrists says ambition and equanimity because there's a world I think we both exist. Equanimity is like my word, like um, but I feel like if we had to put both of ambition and equanimity on a Venn diagram, the magic is in the middle. Whereas like you can be in pursuit, but also like we have to be equanimous as well. But the the whole clock thing for me is I have plenty, but I'm running out where where's the balance of, I have plenty of time I need to be present and grateful, but also a little sense of urgency where like, hey, I'm one day closer to death. I, I'm not, I'm time waste for no man. Because I feel like anything good has a dichotomy. The, for me, it's the dichotomy of ambition and equanimity. For me, it's the dichotomy of you have plenty, but you're running out. So for me, that's kind of like where my reminders are at with my current set of stuff.
0: What are some things that you look to to refocus yourself when you're feeling that you're not present?
1: Um, breath work is a big one. Um, okay. One of one of the one of the big things a, a hero of mine has said um, is whenever he's having someone do like they're they're getting caught up in emotions or whatever is he says take a big deep breath to remind yourself you're here because like if you notice like for me like physiology starts to change when we are not emotionally okay posture drops breathing goes shallow physiology you know like Doctor Dispenza talks about like your body is arguably your unconscious mind because it starts to change on its own. Or if you want to change your state, change your physiology and everything else shifts. Right. Mm. Um, but, but for me, um, I, I monitor where my breath is at and I'll take some big, deeper breaths and get back into place. There's also some of the, the weird shit that I'll do. Um, if I find myself like kind of drifting back into this state is, um, this is actually, this is, I brought this up. We didn't even get into, I brought it up on your podcast is, um, I put things through the lens of what would my 80 year old self tell me right now? Yeah. I
0: like, that.
1: um, what, what, what would my 80 year old self have to say? Um, cause I believe your elder self is the only, you have the best intentions for you. You are the only one who has you at the number one has the most purest intentions for you. Like everyone loves you, but no one has you, but no one prioritizes you or has the best, your best interest other than yourself. I would argue with that. So, ideally then your eldest self, let's say eighty or ninety-year-old you has like that stoic wisdom, has the understanding of everything. It's like that grandpa wisdom that we all, you know, mm-hmm. always benefit from. Um and I think the person who would give me the best advice and the best insight is the stoic eighty or ninety Jared. Um and so a lot of times I'll put things through the lens of like, well what would what would what would Jar because I, I one thing uh, a mentor of mine, Kyle, Kyle sees talks about is we have so much of our own answers inside us. right now they're just in what we call the deep down, you know, it's like deep down. I know X, Y, Z, mm-hmm. but we don't tap into that very often. But like, I feel like that's where like 80 year old grandpa lives is in the deep down. That just is, there's that sense of knowing. So for me, I get my breathing back. If I need to do some inner work, like journaling, like holding space for my emotions, whatever's going on. There's a, when, um when I'm not doing so good with, with some of the stuff, the, there's a, there's a, I don't know if you'd call it an affirmation, but, um, whatever it is, one thing I'll do is I'll basically make it safe to feel whatever the thing is. So sometimes that's even audibly saying you're allowed to feel anxiety in my body. And I give it permission where I just let it be. And then ironically it dissipates. Um, so there's some of these different practices that I'll put into place. So.
0: I think the key takeaway there for anyone listening is that you actually just stop.
1: That would have been a much shorter answer. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, well no, I think right. Cause, cause immediately it was like, okay, you go to breath work and then you go to journal and blah, blah, blah. And I think what people are going to think is like, I have to do all these things if I'm not present. Yeah. But what you're really just doing is you're stopping, you're giving yourself something to do so that you stop. Right. Because when you're not present, like I was again from age, let's say 20 to 32, you don't stop, yeah. And until you have your both feet on the ground, you can't figure out where you need to go. Like right. That GPS is calculating, right? Yeah. <laughs>
1: um,
0: <clears throat> I'm a big I'm a big journaler myself. Uh, I really like to get my thoughts out on paper. Yeah. Um, my mind is always going like a million miles an hour. Uh, some people, you know, I think now the the rage to say, uh, you know, I have ADHD. It's um, trendy. I, mean, I, I don't think I have ADHD. Uh, I think I just think a lot yeah. and I feel a lot and to organize all of that, I have to put it on paper. Mm-hmm. The other thing that really helps me is movement. So whether it, you know, whether it's going for a walk outside, I'll just grab one of our three dogs, go for a walk outside and with no music, and especially when it's cold outside. So I actually have to focus on my breathing when it's cold <laughs> outside because I live in Canada. It's perfect. It's just a nice refocus had a moment, I had a moment the other day, there was just so many things on my plate and I felt like things were getting away from me and I was spiraling a little bit. And I said, you know what? I'm just going to take 10 minutes, Yeah. go for a walk. We had a loop in the neighborhood out in the suburbs. So like every, every loop, I know how many steps it is. Um, <laughs> so I'm like, I'm just going to go get a quick 1200. I walked around the block, came back, sat back on my desk. I was like, let's go. Yeah. And I knew exactly what needed to be done. Um, Being present is something that I don't think a lot of people put enough stock into because they feel like if they slow down, they'll lose ground. What I try to teach people is that without slowing down, you're never going to get to where you want to go. Because when you're not present, you're spinning your wheels. Yeah. That reset to stop, put it in four-wheel drive... And then get out of the hole. That's what you need. Mm -hmm. So whatever trigger it is for you. Uh, I always like, you know, I mentioned lighthouses. So I will look to one of those lighthouses at that moment. A big one for me is my wife.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Like what would live say to me right now? Mm -hmm. Usually she would tell me that I'm catastrophizing. (laughs)
1: It's a a Scrabble word right there, bro.
0: (laughs) Triple word score. Um, Or that I just need to chill. And sometimes she'll do it for me. She'll be like, Hey, put your knife hands away. Cause whenever I'm stressed, I start doing this.
1: Oh, okay.
0: She's like, put your knife hands away. I'm yeah. Like, okay. Sorry. Sorry.
1: I th- so uh, uh, one of my, my lighthouses is, is my wife as well. Um, she can see shit from a mile away. Oh, yeah. Right. Uh, my, my wife has also been with me since uh, we were 13 and 15. Like I'm talking Holy about shit. Yeah, bro. Like we make it even crazier. First girlfriend.
0: Good for you. Yeah. Man. I love fucking,
1: that. It's incredible, dude. She's the best. Actually. She's one of the, he, he's, talking about her is one of the things that will get me like that. Um, it's actually, uh, when I was speaking at, I was speaking at, at time of filming this, my biggest speaking gig to date. It was, a it was at Jason Phillips event coaching con. Um, um, it was like 750 people. And he had me give a short bio and um and i got talking about my stuff a little bit and i saw in the back this like i like you know stage lights are bright but between two i saw my wife holding the camera up and i'm just like okay i cannot look at her ever again when i'm speaking holy shit like it's it's you know but but like with that she'll for me she knows she's like hey you need a like my wife has never, ever been one of those people. that's like, you need to work less. I want to like, Hey, you should, what it's never been one of those, but she can tell when I need to be done for the day. Like not yep. for like selfish reasons, but she's like, I think you just need to let that, let that sit till tomorrow. Or it sounds weird. She's like, I think you need to go play video games or Hey, I think you need to go play music. Hey, I think you should probably go on a walk. Hey, why don't you go? Why don't you go to the cigar bar today and just talk to those old men and, and you know, whatever. And, um, and every single time it's, it's right. It's what I need to do. I need to either go on a walk go chill at the cigar bar with these 80 year old motherfuckers or go play music or whatever the case is. So I,
0: this is somewhat something where people will say, you know, you need, you can't rely on your partner to do X, Y, and Z that's codependent, whatever. I think number one, you should definitely not be in a codependent relationship. Right. I can vouch for that. Not a good thing, but Your partner should absolutely play a supportive role in your life. And some of the most challenging things that I've encountered with clients is when the partner isn't on board. Mm, Yeah. Um, And for someone who, like, I've been divorced. I've been in a situation where my partner was not supportive of me. And I know exactly what that feels like. So the empathy level is very high for me. But also the troubleshooting is very high for me, too. And I think that's where, you know, the ability to emotionally regulate and have very calm conversations, independent of emotions with your partner, where you can let them know, hey, this is what I need from you right now. This is the this is how the way you're acting is making me feel. I feel as though I have to choose between you and me. And that's not fair having those unemotional conversations with your partner where you can speak to each other without getting defensive or assigning blame. Mm. Probably the most valuable skill that you can learn as someone who, whether you're someone who just wants to lose 10 pounds, someone who wants to completely transform their life, someone who wants to build a business. Yeah. Again, it comes down to orchestrating your environment. Sometimes you have to teach people but you also need to be open to learning as well. Like you said, while your wife has never asked you to step away from work or work less or spend more time with me, I guarantee you that you have put things in place so that that never becomes a conversation.
1: Yeah. Right? Yeah, totally.
0: I I know, for example, like I have a hard stop at 830 every night. Who is because that's our time, and I prioritize that above anything else. And you know what? It makes me way more efficient during the day, so that I can get my shit done by eight thirty at night. Which sounds hilarious, right? My workday ends at eight thirty at night, right? And it also starts at five a.m.
1: <laughs> so God, I know, mean- <laughs> <laughs> bro. I would rather stay up till five a.m. than get up at five a.m. Like literally, really? <laughs> oh yeah, dude, hundred percent.
0: I've never been that. I've always been a morning person. So
1: I, I, go ahead. Sorry.
0: I was going to say like, even when I was, you know, my second time in Tampa, when I was at the university of Tampa, I had to be at the school at 5.00 AM. So I was up at 3:10. Wow.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I joke that I say that, um, that I became an entrepreneur so I didn't have to get up early. So it's <laughs> just running joke, but yeah. But um, if you don't get up at,
0: you know, if you don't get up at 4.00 AM and take a picture of your watch, you're going to be poor, bro.
1: Yeah. And post it on Instagram. My whole Instagram is just like Jocko's where it's just like nothing about watch photos. You should start,
0: (laughs) you should start taking pictures of your watch at like (laughs) 9am.
1: That's hilarious. Yeah.
0: Greatness never sleeps, bro.
1: That's right. In my unmade bed and everything. That's, that's great, man. Dude, this hour has flew by. I, I really enjoy talking with you. Uh, I, I felt like, to be honest, I needed half of what you said, like for me. So I appreciate that. Happy to help. Um, now you now you asked, I never have like specific questions to ask my guests at the end, but yours, I, I did want to, uh, um, I was curious for who would your five be? Like, so when you asked when I was on your show, you could have dinner with five people or sit down with five people dead or alive. Who would it be? And I gave you mine, but I'm curious who yours would be.
0: Okay. So I'm going to pull out a pen just so I don't lose count.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: <laughs> uh, so number one would be my wife for sure. Mm. So live Um, Michael Jordan. Then I would probably say. Genghis Khan. (laughs) Marcus Aurelius. There you go. And.
1: Okay, I'm gonna say this, and it's for a really weird reason. So I'm actually going to have you go back also and give the why's to all of them. okay, so Mother Teresa. I would love to see you and Mother Teresa talk. like you see She's, your big burly ass and <laughs> your tiny head. Little, little woman. <laughs> yeah,
0: um, so honestly, my wife, because this is gonna sound super corny, but just life's way better with her.
1: Mm, that's so sweet, dude. I love so, that.
0: Um, Michael Jordan, because the work ethic yeah the the work ethic to be the first one in last one out, um, also that highly competitive spirit, I would want to know if he regrets it because you know you alienate a lot of people like that,
1: yeah, be the greatest uh, of all time, yeah, hundred percent.
0: Genghis Khan, because again, you know, when isn't it something like thirty percent of the population can be traced back to this guy?
1: I think so. I think so. Something, Which is crazy. Like
0: but but to have the drive to never stop conquering, I just think there's something inherently interesting about that.
1: Mm.
0: Uh, Marcus Aurelius. It fascinates me when people think counter to the norm, right? So. In a time highly driven by religion, this guy didn't really talk about religion much. He didn't, you know, and it was very much self, all about the self, all about self-control. I just find it fascinating when people just think counter to what's going on. Yeah. People who come (laughs) up with new ideas. I think that's super fascinating. Uh, And Mother Teresa, because I would want to prove that she was not benevolent.
1: Interesting. Interesting.
0: I don't, personally, so when you think about benevolence, you think about, immediately my mind goes to self-sacrifice, right? (laughs) To benefit others at the expense of yourself. She had to have enjoyed helping people.
1: Oh, absolutely. 100%.
0: So then she's not benevolent. Right. She's a self-serving cunt. (laughs) (laughs)
1: let's make a clip out of that Mother (laughs) Teresa is a self-serving cunt holy shit oh my gosh holy shit (laughs) 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 that's oh yeah that's that's fascinating you know I I do think it's I, I always love people who you know this is the thing that I love about whether someone like even listening agrees or disagrees with that the fact that like you have your belief on that around you know it's like people get make it weird think it's weird when um on my top 5 is hitler is on my list yeah because he was a fucking degenerate human who did bad things he still influenced so many people in had a level of leadership that you know that made some crazy shit happen now, he used it for bad powers, but, like, people get offended. Like, if I do a Q&A on Instagram, then they get all butt butthurt, because I, I would love to talk to Hitler. Like, yeah, let's put like, you fucked up. You're a piece of shit. We're going to put that over here, because I want to talk about this, though. You know?
0: Well, I mean, listen, people will get butthurt about a lot of different things. Yeah. You know, the last time I checked, words don't cut your skin. Yes. And I'm of the belief that the more I can be proven wrong, the more opportunities I have to learn. I look, I look to identify confirmation bias anywhere that I go. I stay very far away from echo chambers and I want people to challenge me on my ideas because how else am I going to grow?
1: Yeah, completely. That's good. I I love that.
0: uh, Okay. You want to hear my 800 pound squat story? Okay. Mm -hmm. Let's hear it. So I was sitting in my second year Uh, physical education class. It was basically like a how to teach gym class. The teacher was actually a student of my mother's in her group fitness education class at the YMCA. So my mom taught this woman how to teach aerobics. So she knew who I was. At the time, I had no idea she knew who I was. I was a slack off in class, hey. I would never be paying attention. I'd be talking, I'd be on my computer doing whatever. It was the time when laptops were like
1: this big. Okay.
0: <laughs> um, and so I was, wasn't paying attention and we we're talking about goal setting. And she's like, Paul, I was like, Whoa. She's like, what do you want to achieve? I'm like, I'm going to squat 800 pounds and everyone started laughing. And she's like, you're going to squat 800 pounds. I said, yep, I'm going to squat 800 pounds. And so when I did it, I messaged her on Facebook Messenger. And I was like, hey, just to let you know I squat 800 pounds, here's the video. And she ab- she actually remembered that.
1: Wow. Yeah. So know, your, really cool. so this was – now, was this because that's what you wanted to do? Or did you just say, I'm i just shoved shove it up it her my ass. ass?
0: I just picked it out of my ass. I was like, I'm going to squat 800 pounds. So no now, so
1: was your drive to squat 800 pounds though, because you actually did it. Was it because just to sh- prove this woman that you could do it? No. Okay.
0: At the time that 800 pounds, to put that into perspective, that 800 pound squat was like 70 pounds, 80 pounds above the all time world record. Okay. Yeah.
1: Okay. Interesting. That's cool. That's hilarious. Just to shove, just to shove it up your mom's up yours. <laughs> yeah. Up your, up your mom's friend's ass. That's hilarious. That's so good, dude, man. I've enjoyed this conversation so much. Where can people find you?
0: So you can find me on Instagram at Paul. O'Need. You can find my coaching company, master athletic performance at www.masterathletic.com. For continuing education, you can find me at www.coachescorneru.com. We're going to be launching a new online coaching certification. So the essentials of online coaching is going to be launching within the next month. Um, which I'm very excited for. It'll yeah. be accredited for CEUs through NASM and the NSCA. So if you need those, hit us up.
1: Hell yeah, dude. That's awesome, man. Man I appreciate it. This has been so good, bro. I appreciate it. I appreciate you too, man. Thanks for having me on. Awesome, man. We'll talk soon. And we are back. Thank you so much once again for tuning in to today's episode of Dieting from the Inside Out. And I really appreciate you being here. Um, if you've got a lot of value, I know if you got a lot of value out of this, um, you'll want to share the show. Be sure and reach out to Paul. Say what's up. Say, yo, I heard you on Jared's show. It was great. Do whatever you, you can. Just reach out to him. Um, if you have not yet left a review for this show, it would mean a ton to me. Uh, if you if you give the show a five-star rating in a review and like spread the word and tell your friends, put on your story, all that kind of thing, it's what's gonna help get this show and this material to more people. Because if you resonate with this and this is helps you, you need to help spread the word to others. I do this show completely for free. I put a lot of time, energy, money, and resources into this, bringing on the best, some of the best guests. And all I ask in return is to share the show. If an episode resonates, boom share it. If an episode doesn't resonate, don't like, I, like, I don't, you know, if, none, you know, I'm sure there's episodes that you may not love, um, things like that. So don't share those. But if you get a lot of value from an episode, be like, "Bing, that was, that was my thing then I want you to share it if you could mean a lot to me. Otherwise, before you go, there's a lot of stuff in the description for you. I have my, uh, my free course down there, like the fat loss checklist. If you're not quite sure where to go or where to get started, I have a special link. If you do want to uh, apply for coaching because you came straight from the podcast, you're a special kind of person. So you go straight to the front of the line, um, and just get right on the calendar. Um, If you have not yet joined my Facebook group, you'll want to do that because uh, you shouldn't be doing this alone and it really sucks to do this by your own and feel all all kind of, you know, just by yourself because this game is hard. It's going to take a long time and it takes a village. So I have a free spot in a Facebook group called Fat Loss Simplified, where it will be nothing but a few thousand other people who is who are in the same boat as you and we're all moving forward. But I teach in that group. If you like this content, you'll love the content there. You'll love the content there. I don't know why I keep getting tongue tied today. Otherwise, that's it for today's show. I appreciate the fuck out of you. Let me know if you need anything and I'll talk to you next week.